Welcome to We Are The People with me, Philip Burke, a podcast that speaks to people like you about your lives. The events we experience throughout our lives shape who we are and how we look at the world. As we move through life, we learn and adapt and change because of what we have been through. Inka Milovic was conceived in the Congo, born in Bosnia, grew up in Algeria, and when war broke out in both Yugoslavia and Algeria, she settled with her family in Canada. As she moved from one place to the next, she became a sponge in her new environment. She watched and listened as she integrated herself, and it was these skills that helped her hone her craft. Inka is an actress, a dancer, a teacher, a musician. She wears many hats, all of them with passion and positive energy. Nothing is impossible. This is Inka Malovic. Inka, thank you yes. very, very, very much for uh, joining me on the podcast. Pleasure to have you on. My ultimate pleasure. <laughs> right, let's go back to the very, very beginning. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Uh, I think this dream, this actor dream was very young for me. Yeah, that was always kind of it. Very, very young. I think it's because I moved around so much and I was in constant kind of observation of others and trying to fit into different cultures and continents. And so I felt like, yeah. Like you were acting. Well, no, not like I was acting, but this kind of fascination towards human behavior. Because you're when you're kind of, you know, the new kid or when you're kind of outside in, it kind of forces you to have a little bit of this observer, you know, to see things in the observer lens. And of course, you're young. And of course, you want to be understood. You don't want to be too different. You want to fit in. So it kind of, it helps you to stay yourself and navigate because you kind of do have to put on different hats, different languages, different ways of greeting or playing or communicating. So you do end up in that sense. Yeah. Maybe acting, but ah, putting on new hats, putting on new hats, right? Because you're kind of propelled into it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. That to me has always been my authenticity. I think has been the, the most important thing for me, because no matter what, in the end, you're always a little bit, different as much as it forces you to kind of like try on new things you also still have this authenticity because you're not quite from that place or from that culture so you yeah it forces you to search for a deeper sense of identity which is maybe not just you know from this place and this is my culture this is my religion these are my people like it forces you to and it helps you see in the end that we're all so the same. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same, just in different mannerisms, different cultures. At the end, we're a whole bunch of humans trying to figure out life. We're so much more the same than we tend to think. Right. So, but to answer your question, I think that was, it was more, yeah, it was this, this and music, that and music, because I think, yeah, it helps you uh, channel a lot of your angst and yeah, everything that you're going through. I think for me, music, music and theater, right? And uh, especially in my high school, I think that's when I really discovered it because we had such an elaborate, amazing theater program in my in my high school in North Van in BC. And that's when I fell in love for real because it was so awesome to me that I would audition for the school play and all these other people would audition. And then here we are, this cast and crew, and we're building this reality from scratch together. So for once, I really felt like We all got here at the same time. You know, I felt like I could ironically in this play, in this fictional setting, in these characters that I would play, I would find ah, this sense of home, this sense of belonging. Your passion for for life and for what you're (laughs) doing is is evident in the first couple of minutes. Where did you first call home? So I, um, I was, well... Man, how to answer that question? I don't know. <laughs> I was actually, uh, yeah, from the onset, kind of, yeah, in this path from nowhere to nowhere kind of thing. Because my mom, my parents were living in the Congo at the time. Ex Yugoslavia had a lot of uh, really great deve- like ties with a lot of developing countries, and they would send out their engineers a little bit everywhere, which. That was one of them was my dad. So they were in the Congo. So I was conceived in the Congo. And then I was born in Bosnia. She went back to Bosnia. So I'm from ex-Yugoslavia or Bosnia, as you would say now. And then um, about a year and a half later, um, we went to Algeria. So I kind of grew up in Algeria. 
kind of in between Yugoslavia and Algeria, but I was really living in Algeria, but we would spend all our summers in Yugoslavia and kind of go back and forth. And then um, the war hit in my country and then we were stuck in Algeria and then the civil uprising and civil war that began in Algeria at the same time. So we had to flee Algeria, but we couldn't go back home because there was the war back home. So we made uh, papers uh, to um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and then uh, Canada was the first to take us. So we came here. So I was about nine when we came to Montreal, to Quebec. And we stayed here a few years. And then we ended up driving across Canada and settling in BC. So I kind of had like my high school years and university years in BC. And then since then, it's endless, you know, the amount of travels. And I've lived a little bit everywhere. Like when we met in Lyon, when we had exchanged our little Erasmus year, um, and it's kind of like never stopped uh, a lot of different movements. And I trained in New York for a year and then I came back to BC and I came to Montreal and then Toronto and then back and forth. And all of that to say is that now I'm in Montreal and it's been uh, almost like three, three years, three and a half years that I'm here, like rooted, bought my place. And I'm actually <laughs> here. almost. So- to answer your question, it's hard. Like, what is home? So many of these places are home, right? They're all different spectrums of my identity, right? So very hard. I guess home is a very fluctuating concept for me. You know, home is where the heart is, I guess, where my people yeah. are, or where I'm at at the moment, right? So it's a very fluid kind of concept. But for sure, I'm Yugoslavian. I'm ex-Yugoslavian. I like to say that because... What's me, Yugoslavia just, like? Well, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. So, <laughs> but in your in your in your consciousness, in your in your head, your your memories of Yugoslavia. It was nothing is perfect, obviously. No system is, but it was pretty. You know, it was a very like socialist, communist time. It was the big opposition, you know, to Stalin, to this very authoritarian kind of communism. Right? It was university was free, uh, um, living was good. You know, we have the mountains there, beautiful mountains. There's the Olympics in '84. There, we have the Adriatic Sea. Everybody had a home in the country by the seaside. You know, it's just it was. Wasn't like oh you're rich now. It was just this is the qualities of life. Was like good food, good people. Oh, what's the what's the happening cafe tonight? Or where are we gonna go? You know, it was very kind of it was a pretty utopian kind of living. Uh, you know, in terms of a, of a of a I guess a system that you could have, which of course had a lot of underlying tensions and was far from perfect. And you had to kind of serve this greater good, this Yugoslavian good, right? So. I mean, that's complex, but from when I hear my mom speak about what her life was like, and when I see the the pain that especially that generation had to live with watching their own country just fall apart. And now all of a sudden, if you're Serb or Bosnian or Croatian, or if you, you know, like it, it's all of a sudden it means something when before it, everybody was intermarried, all the religions were together, like Sarajevo, where I'm from, it was known as the little Jerusalem of Europe. You know, you'd wake up to, you know, like the prayer, you know, and then you'd hear the church bells and then you can go to the synagogue and everything was kind of together, right? It was this, it was really quite beautiful in that sense because it didn't matter. We were all the same people, the Yugoslavians, right? And then it's been it's been a huge thing. It's a huge like nostalgia, like it's a big thing for ex-Yugoslavian people. This big, big nostalgia because you kind of don't have it anymore, right? Yeah. A lot of immigrants, I find that I've always connected a lot with immigrants because we're kind of in this permanent nostalgia, kind of like always missing back home, but kind of here and happy to be wherever you are, but you're in this permanent kind of nostalgia. I think the more anybody who travels around or moves around or lives in different places, you're anybody really, we can be nostalgic of our past and so on. We can live in this kind of yeah nostalgic uh, feeling until we kind of transcend it. But it's a huge thing for Yugos. It's a huge, uh, huge yeah. thing, especially that you can go back home. Like it's not there anymore. It is in many ways, but it's different post-war and all that. It's much better now, but it's still, you know, it takes a long time, right? Many generations to yeah. heal that. And I'm kind of living that with my partner right now here because he's from Montreal, but he's half Serbian, half Greek. So his mother is Serbian. I speak to her in Serbo Croatian, which is so... <laughs> and we're kind of you know maybe this 
next generation or a couple generations removed in the diaspora so we can start to heal that, right? And my dad came to visit a few months ago here and we rented this cottage and he met his mom and it was so beautiful to watch them, this Bosnian and this Serb just connect, you know, it was, it's this, this, I see it more and more in the diaspora, a little bit of this healing where we're kind of recreating Yugoslavia outside That's of the nice. region. And as a, as a child, were you scared? What do you mean? Like, was it, so like there's a war in, in Yugoslavia, there's a war in Algeria. You're moving around a lot. You are such <laughs> a positive person. Did you always take the positives? I think you kind of, well, I mean, I think that's, that's ultimate. I, that's like the ultimate choice we have, I think, as humans, right? That's, is to, no matter what is happening, you can choose how you look at it, right? So I, I've worked a lot on that. I've been very much on this kind of, you know, quote unquote, spiritual path, which I don't even know what that means, because it's, there is no real path, but in the sense of really developing uh, your awareness and letting go of a lot of things. And, and then it inevitably kind of like helps you to be more positive, because you're more just accepting, right? So yeah, what do you love about the culture in Algeria? Um, well, when we lived there, it was very open, which was really wonderful because um, there was a lot of Europeans. It was very open. It wasn't run by Islamic law, right? So you can be a practicing Muslim and not not wear anything or not have a veil. Like it was very much more accepting, much more open. So it was really just a, a wonderful place to live. Like we would go to the desert on the weekend, you know, like <laughs> it's that thing you do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's Sahara, <laughs> just hang out <laughs> in the dunes with the wild camels, you know. And then we you have the Mediterranean Sea. It's a port. We were in Algeria, like in Algiers. It's a port city. Um, so you have to see the see the Mediterranean Sea. Plus you have beautiful mountains, uh, Les Kabyles, beautiful culture, so many different cultures, like so many, so, so, so incredible. Like when you go to the desert, when you go up in the mountains, when like it was uh, a very rich up, uh, upbringing, especially because I went to a school that was um, like a French school. That's where I learned uh, French, but it was um, very much. I don't know. It was a, like a, a French-run school, but in Northern Africa, so a lot of teachers would come there to try new things, you know. And we had a little bit more breathing room, flexibility. So a lot of art. We did so much art. We did like so much music. So many, uh, yeah, like dancing. And the parents were very involved. Like my mom was a great cook, for example. So she would come and like do little cooking classes. And it was all these people from all over the world that were working in in uh, Northern Africa, in, in 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 Algeria. And going to that school. So it was very amazing. Even then, I was already exposed to so many different cultures in this school in Northern Africa, but we're from Yugoslavia, right? So it's like, it was very rich for me, this whole childhood, except towards the very end, right? Because things got pretty heated, pretty bad. And it didn't really matter, you know, who you were or what, but if you were definitely, if you're, you were a foreigner, you were no longer accepted, which was not the case for most Algerians. It was kind of this civil war, these various different Islamist groups that wanted to, you know, overtake the government and, you know, run in by Islamic law, all of that. So it was, it was in between the Algerians, you could feel like the tension. Some, you know, were falling into it, but most were not. And it lasted for a long time for Algeria, like a very long time after that. Um, and it's how old were you? I was about eight, eight, eight towards the end there, seven, seven and a half, eight, when it was getting pretty, uh, pretty bad. And we couldn't leave. That was the other thing, you know, because technically we're from Bosnia, we're technically we're Muslim, but I never really, my parents were never really, you know, practicing or anything of the sort. Like we really, like a lot of people I think are Christian. They're a little bit more like, yeah, it's more like customs that you do, but they're not necessarily, it was more like that, you know, it was very relaxed, yeah. but even then it was, it didn't matter. We were Europeans, like we had to leave. Right. So it was, it was a bit tricky. I have a few bad um, memories when it comes to that. I remember that, but um, it was pretty intense. Like I, my dad, because uh, we were like, kind of like, kind of like what we're living now, like locked in into the house, like waiting to see when we could go outside or not, right? Yeah. Um, quarantine. And then uh, we were kids, right? So we were going a little bit crazy. So one day my dad's like, oh, let's go to them. I got to go to the office to like pick up some stuff, you know, that he, he had left there, right? It was, you know, pre-internet times. So um, he felt like it was 
you know, it looked good, the situation. So we went out there with my dad. I remember we were playing with different things in the office while he was gathering some things. <laughs> and then uh, when we wanted to leave, uh, all of a sudden there was this huge uh, roadblock and, you know, like armed uh, uh, roadblocks. And my dad was like, it's like tiny little streets over there trying to drive around, trying to find a spot where we could like just hide out and uh, it's crazy. There's this tunnel that used to, they used to pass through and he saw that it was blocked. So we kind of did this U-turn and he just kind of ditched the car and this woman saw us and, and uh, we ran into the building and went into kind of like the basement. Everybody was going down in the basement to, uh, to, to hide. And cause they were throwing like, you know, uh, gas and bombs and all this kind of stuff. I'll never forget this one woman gave me this uh, cloth with some vinegar on it. So I could put it on my face and breathe because you couldn't breathe. And that was pretty scary. So that lasted for many, many hours that so we were waiting there with a whole bunch of people that we just, that were from the building that we didn't even know. Right. So it was, it was really beautiful too, but also traumatizing, of course, as a kid. Right. And then I remember my dad was kept peeking out to see when we could maybe leave. And then when things finally calmed down, I'll never forget. We ran, we ran, 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 ran all, all these steps and finally came home. And my mom, we had no phone, right. This is not the time, right. There was no way to communicate with her. So she was like, you know, she was just, she had gone crazy. Like we were, you know, missing technically for, I don't even know yeah. how many hours. And I'll never forget the way she hugged me. She was always very like, Bosnian love is not very like soft and, you know, gentle. It's very like, ah, right? <laughs> she just like devoured me. I remember that just like, yeah. So little experiences like that. And then we, we managed to leave like one of the last flights, I think, before things got really bad, you know? So, but still I, I went back when, when I actually, when we did our, um, when we did our exchange year in Lyon, I went back, uh, I went back to visit um, Algeria and it was really like, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was really beautiful. I went back to my old house and like there's other people living there, but they let me, <laughs> I <just laughs> they let me see it. And I went to see the school and it was a really beautiful experience to go back and yeah, retouch base with that. But, you know, it's definitely not my culture, right? We were there just living there, but it's, it's a huge, uh, yeah, like I, like I have a sensibility maybe towards certain kinds of music or uh, Gnawa, like music, like it, it goes to find my soul, this kind of very, I don't know, I feel like there's a part of me that has absorbed that culture, right? Because I was there seven years as a very young kid, right? So I feel yeah. a certain appartenance, you know, or something like this, but definitely uh, it was just like a really rich, a really rich upbringing to to have so young you got, already got such a blend of cultures and backgrounds by the time you're seven yeah and then you head off to Canada yeah to freezing Canada we were like what did we do <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we really my parents we were trying to decide where to go and we we're like no Montreal Montreal mom dad we just learned French we're like please like just learn French like let's keep speaking French and I, I remember I came here it took me three months to understand the Quebecois I was like oh, we could have just gone we could have just gone to Vancouver right away but no I love it I love both both uh, accents I really love them both all of it now my French yeah. is all now but uh, I remember at the beginning it was hard for us it was hard for us and yeah it was funny how did you settle into Canada was it was it easy because you've had so because you've had so many experiences with different cultures or was it more difficult um uh good question in quebec in montreal because i spoke french maybe that was a little bit easier but still it's a whole other ball game it's a lot it's a lot for a kid to go through let it, just imagine your own like you know you stay in the same place you grow up in the city you're going through all your things as a kid right there's so much growth that is happening so you add another culture another language another right it's it's a lot of layers to unpack but at the same time you're a kid you're resilient you're you know kids it's easy it's about like, okay let's play this game all right you learn the game and you play the game so there is something to say about being a child and you learn languages faster so it's you know i didn't have the stress that my parents were dealing with they're like tuning in still bombings happening they don't know who's alive, who's dead, who, who's gone where. No, still no communication at the very beginning when we first came, right? And here you are, you have your kids, you got to think of a new job. How do you make a resume here? How do you do this? Oh, you got to do this in English. I can't, like, I can't imagine for them, you know? So for, for us, at least we were 
shielded from having that kind of responsibility. We just had to kind of figure out how to be kids here. I have such like um, deep respect for my parents, for all these refugee parents, for what they for what they go through, right? It's but I feel any human, whatever situation you're kind of thrown into, you gotta figure it out. Like, well, what are you gonna do? You you gotta figure it out. So you in the end it ends up it ends up being your greatest gift because you get yeah. to be ingenious and boy, discover your strength. I'm sure a lot of people have felt this now with COVID, with all these things, especially for privileged countries. I'm watching them because they're have never really had to go through, you know, certain restrictions or, you know, feelings of uncertainty, or there's a, there's a certain cushioning, you know, maybe not for everyone, of course, in, in, in privileged countries, but there overall there is right. So, but then you get to something like that happens and you get to kind of, yeah, see the strength that you have for anything like the bad things that happen to you or the big things or when somebody dies or yeah, all those things get to um, get to form you, get to form your character, get to add more backbone. And I look at my dad and I'm like, like, wow, I got, I got to tell you this because you know this is about inspiring. Right. And, you know, and it's, he's definitely has inspired me in that sense. So, so we're here in Montreal and he's like trying to look for work and, He's an engineer, an electrical engineer. He's worked all over the place. He's around Congo, Algeria, everything, but he can't seem to find, you know, a job in his profession because that's often the case, right? All your immigrants, they're taxi drivers or they have, you know, the little corner store, but because it's kind of what we want for them to be able to come and then we don't allow them to practice their things. So it's this big, um, it's complex. The issue is complex, right? But he just resilient, resilient, kept looking. But wasn't finding. And then at that time, Quebec really wanted to separate as well from Canada. And my dad was like, it's so cold. He was like, more political instability. He's like, no, okay, you know what? <laughs> we knew like a few families in BC, whatever. He's like, let's give it a shot out there and look at their adventurous spirit. Even then, they're like, well, we may as well drive just to make it an adventure. Why not? So instead of flying out, we're going to like ship whatever again, our containers, whatever we had. <laughs> And we just drove across the country. So beautiful. So amazing. Then we get to BC and my dad, I'll never forget. He had these like piles and piles of papers, right? Pre-internet, right? Like just looking and looking and looking to see where he could find work. And uh, I know as like as new immigrants, sometimes they give you, you know, they, they'll give you like a course on how to make a resume or how to approach employers, and, uh, and, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Like just to, to, to help you kind of like settle in into the new culture that you're in. And uh, my dad's like, look, he uh, he had heard about some kind of private company and he's like, I have this money left. And instead of taking this free class that I'm being given, because we're all going to sound the same, we're going to be all these immigrants that are going to sound the same, trying to look for this job. So he's like, I'm going to put it into this private company. I'm going to take the course from them and I'll see if I can get a little bit something like a little edge or something to help me like just kind of stand out. Right. And one little thing, he was like, instead of like calling the employers and being, oh, I'm looking for work or whatever, he would call them and be like, oh, I'm just, you know, uh, here to ask for your advice. Right. So it would just kind of oh, such a slight little stupid thing. But at the same time, it would just open up the conversation, open up the, 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 the playing field. And then all of a sudden this company is like, well, Actually, your profile is very interesting for us because we're bidding for this uh, huge project in Argentina. So why don't you come in for an interview and that kind of stuff? So they had an interview. They explained everything to him. But they're like, the, the thing is, is that we really need the engineer to speak Spanish, you know, if we manage to get this project. Um, and he's like, that's fine. I'll learn. They're like, yeah, you'll learn. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll learn. I'll learn. I'll learn. I'll learn Spanish. So he got the job with them. He's teaching himself Spanish with all these different books. They bid for the project. They get the project. And he ended up doing a whole year uh, in Argentina running this like enormous multi-million dollar project in Spanish. It's not just like, donde está el baño? You know, he had to, <laughs> right? Like he had to really, and he just did that. And then that was it. And then afterwards it opened up all these other opportunities. And he's, you know, he just recently retired, but he was an engineer to this day, worked everywhere in Chile and Yukon and Calgary and Vancouver. It's endless. Right. So, and I always look at that and I'm like, okay, when there's a will, there's a way, you know, when there's, so I feel like in that sense, when we were talking about forging character and that, like, and to watch that as well, like as a child and be like, okay, like, 
All right. Anything is uh, anything is possible, right? <laughs> and it's so cute. I'll never forget. I remember he, you know, and he still didn't speak such great English at the time. And they were like, you know, he, he thought he was getting paid fifteen dollars an hour, right? That's what he understood. And then he got his first paycheck, and it was actually fifty dollars an hour. So he was like, oh great. But you know, he was like, whatever. At that time, fifteen bucks was good. So, so you arrived then in in BC, and you presumably went straight into school. Then is that where you the the acting really kind of took it off? is, yeah, yeah. Like I was saying in my high school, uh, in my high school theater program, that's when it really, really took off. And I remember um, my teacher at the time, because you know I was a young teenager, and you want to have the leading part and be the pretty lady with the nice dress, right? And I would always get cast as the like always the character role, like the the the. I remember we did the Scarlet Pimpernel this uh, this uh, play, and I play the innkeeper, you know, and I'm like <laughs> I got an eye patch and a hump, and I'm dragging my leg, and you know there was this joke I remember like oh is she a man or a woman like there was always this little joke when we were um, when we were doing the play because it was such a almost like this creature right it was such a interesting character to play right but yeah. now now i'm super grateful f- uh, for him because he's like you can make these characters really human in kai you you had it's it's your that's your path and he kind of yeah. gave me that gift so i'm definitely i definitely much prefer playing characters uh, a little bit offbeat or yeah. different psychologically disturbed or uh, you know the bad guys or the evil or like you know game of thrones you know it's 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 so fun it's so fun to explore that so i think yeah he kind of gave me that um that lens as to where i kind of wanted to go of course you know i'm you know immigrant family it was like what do you want to do what uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it was like, that's not a job, right? You're going to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, right? So I did university. Sorry, who's right? saying this? Your, your parents or your... Well, my parents, yeah. I mean, at the beginning, now they were like, you know, they were, they, they understood, like, there's no saving her. Like, this is what she wants to do. <laughs> but it took them a while. <laughs> and so I did university, you know, like right after high school, I did the four years full on, full course load. I, I'm, you know, a history major. And also I kind of basically have a double major, but I like missing three credits to have a full double major with theater because I was, of course, taking every theater thing that I could, every film class that I could, <laughs> you know, but I still wanted to, yeah, do the university thing. And I'm really glad I did. You know, I learned so much. It's, it's, uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful experience, but my soul always knew where it kind of wanted to go. And then like, when I finally finished university, I was like, okay, shit, how do I do this? All right. And then I kind of just slowly went onto this artistic path, you know, like worked at this restaurant, of course. And, um, did uh, I was running this show, this kind of like dance show, because I've done a lot of dance as well. That's been another huge uh, part of my life and started running the show in this uh, restaurant that ended up being uh, really like fun and successful. We do it like once a month and it was lovely. And then that gave me some juice. And then I ended up doing this awesome physical theater piece um, for a few uh, festivals in BC. And then I was doing all that and, you know, like just feeling like, okay, this is really, I want to go, I want to go in this direction. And I really wanted to give myself that gift of really having like an acting school, a full-on acting school. And I'm like, if I'm going to do it anywhere, I'm going to do it in New York. Like, I'm going to just go to New York and do that. And so I went to Strasbourg. I went to Strasbourg for a year and it was so amazing. I mean, New York is such a wonderful school, even not just the school, but New York itself, right? And everybody's coming there to like do their dream, whatever that is. You know, it's like New York, the epicenter of this, yeah. right? So you kind of like bring your, you know, your, your A game because everyone is, everyone is so like, they're all in, right? There's this like music, everything there, you, you know, you kind of like, you, you go with this energy, you're, you're all in into this thing that you're passionate about. And the school, it was so intense, right? They're so, uh, it's like method acting. Strasbourg is the name of the school, is it? Yes. How would you describe Strasbourg to somebody like me who has absolutely no idea what it is? Well, it was, you know, Strasbourg kind of like he, he was with Stanislavski a lot. He brought this kind of realistic kind of acting that we now see in most, you know, cinema or theater, right? 
before it was a little bit more like, oh, I am exhausted, right? It was a little bit more of this kind of exaggerated feel. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we wanted to see ourselves. There's all these different schools, right? And they all kind of argue with each other. But at the end of the day, like I find what I describe myself as, as a method actor, which is where you really use something very personal, let's say for like an emotional scene or something, you'll you'll tap into your most authentic self and then layer it on to the character and to the circumstances and all of that. So it's really like a deep therapy for me. This <laughs> Strasbourg is like, you know, you relive your grandfather's death a million times. And you're like, you, you really have to dig deep, which can get, you know, it can get, it's, it can get a little bit, I don't want to say dangerous, but it can, it can be, uh, it can be intense. Right. Yeah. So there's like this other Meisner technique that is much more, uh, you don't do that at all. You kind of just stay in the imaginary circumstances and kind of use that. And so, but I find at the end, I've done so much from like very obscure stuff to, you know, like Japanese no theater to physical theater to very mainstream to Strasbourg to Meisner to movement techniques to kinesthetic energy techniques, like endless, 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 endless tools. And then in the end, you just have this great toolbox and every circumstance is going to be different because you're shooting on a TV show. It's very quick. It's very fast. But then you get there, you might not have time to do the whole emotional preparation that you do during your method acting, you know? So you got to, okay, I got to pick from this hat and I got to use this. Oh, we have all these technical issues. Okay. Whew, I had all that emotional preparation ready. We were about to shoot. Nah, mm, sounds not working. Okay. Yeah. We're going to, okay, well, whew, keep it alive. Keep it alive. Find my own little corner. Maybe I put a little bit of music on. I stay in it. If it's an emotional scene to be able to, you constantly have to kind of like problem solve. I think that's definitely filmmaking or <laughs> you're just kind of problem solving and going with and then sometimes that also gives you the gift of like that thing that just kind of happens that wasn't planned. And all these great moments in cinema often are just like that mistake, quote unquote. But it was just, ah, it was just that gift from the gods or whatever you want. Right. So it's um, so I feel I don't necessarily belong to anything, but I feel like Strasbourg really taught me so much. It taught me so much. I'm living in New York and I had a great mentor uh, as well, Paul Calderon. He was amazing, amazing, amazing. And, and I realized later they really pushed you because at the beginning, you're just like, I was better before I came. Why did I come? Because they just like break you down to like build you back up. Right. And especially I understood later, if you had something to give, they were like, they were coming after you. <laughs> it's a, you know, a, a method. Do I necessarily agree? Do I necessarily think that that's the way you can get the best out of somebody? I'm not sure. I feel like out of compassion and love and, you know, you can making like, sometimes like I had this one teacher, Robert Ellerman, and it was like an ex, kind of an advanced kind of class. And you, you had to kind of audition for this class and you do like a performance in the end. And he's, he's incredible. He was part of the group theater. And, and um, man, like he, he, I would, sometimes I would throw up before I would have to just even go on, on stage, you know, to, to do nerves, nerves. Cause he was just, if anything was remotely not true, he's like, get off stage. You know, it was very, yeah, it was very cutthroat. <laughs> it sounds like an, an intense, it has an intense reputation. It's intense when you're in there. And when you say they're breaking you, like, well, I mean, of course they're not, nah, not everybody is, but you, you kind of have to like strip yourself a little bit. Like, you almost have to like let go of all your stuff so that you can be naked. So you can put on now the like costume of this character that you're going to play. So for example, me, I had a, for me, anger is not necessarily like an emotion that I naturally go towards. Right. But if I have to channel this kind of anger and have this darkness or anger or whatever for this character, I can't have this kind of, uh, ambivalence towards anger. So I got to deal with my anger stuff so I can fully then be free to play. It's like breaking you in the sense that all this work, you do incredible exercises. Actually, I've always been recommending to anybody, it doesn't have to be method or anything, but to just do a theater class once in your life, even if you, whatever, just yeah. to get to know yourself on such a deep level because it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very powerful. It's, it's also very cathartic and you can release a lot of stuff. I did a lot of like socially engaged theater. We can talk about that. That was another part of my life where, and it's so powerful what you can do, what you can heal. Like the first actors were actually shamans, right? They would, 
channel the spirit of the animal or, 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 or anything that was necessary at that time and gather the clan around the fire and they would channel that to be able to heal whatever tension, whatever was going on, right? So it has, and then of course it developed into entertainment and to all these things, but mm. it has this very like healing quality. So I think in the sense, what I mean by that is like the training is so intense there that it helps you really just, that's, that's why I felt like it was a little bit like therapy, right? Because yeah. you get to... Like yeah, you're questioning you yourself and your entire yeah. being almost. And explore every part of you that's repressed or not, or all your wounds and your hurts. And you, you know, you get to kind of, yeah, it's very liberating. It's very liberating. And, and can't uh, imagine everybody comes through that. Well, you know, you know, if, this is what I mean about, hey, it can be a little like, it, it depends how deep you go. Because sometimes you, pay, you play also very deranged characters. Like I, I think of like Heath Ledger, you know, when he played the Joker. And I think even like Jack Nicholson like warned him. He's like, careful, careful with this role. Especially because he was such a brilliant actor, Heath Ledger. He was also a method actor, right? So he went deep. He went deep into it. And who knows? I don't know. His, of course, I don't know him. I don't know yeah, his whole yeah. life, his whole thing. But, you know, I don't think... He quite got over that afterwards, right? And then that's where drugs come in and that kind of stuff. So it's this constant kind of like checking in. Like I would do like exercises where I would maybe fin finish a very intense scene or whatever. And then I would energetically kind of take that off for me or like just get it out of me because you have to sometimes enter these dark zones when you play these dark characters. Yeah. And then that's where you also realize that that's within you as well. And that's all right. It's actually very healthy to be able to, express that side of yourself in a very yeah. you know, safe context in this fictional context. I, I think if, if, if a lot of us really embraced all these different facades and maybe repressed things and anger and darkness within us all, there's this huge gamut within us. And depending on what we've lived or what we've repressed or what we haven't worked through. So it's, uh, it's it, it, in that sense, it can be an intense process acting because you kind of have to go there. Right. So you're kind of in service to the story that you're telling. So you can be that mirror for others to be able to see. Yeah. I mean, like when art comes to grab you a painting or music or a film, like it's a great comedian, great stand-up comedian can do that. It can break through all the barriers. So especially with laughter, so you can, Ah, recognize yourself and be like, oh my yeah. God, I do that too, right? It's such a great way to be able to digest something as opposed to, oh, if I was to tell you, well, you always do, you know, uh, laughter breaks through, breaks through the ego. And it's funny you mentioned ego because that's a huge part of being an actor or an actress. You know, you're going for, looking for work and you have to think you're the best person in the room for that role. And you don't always get every role, role. So like managing your ego must be a tiring job in itself. It's a very humbling experience, this. <laughs> I don't know. It's very humbling. Like, you know, most of the time you just get rejections. That's just the way it is. I've never thought oh, of it like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, of course, everyone has their realities, right? Of course, if you're kind of born in the business or, you know, people or that kind of stuff. But in the end, like anything, there's a lot of politics, a lot of stuff happening behind this. It's so much stuff that is beyond your control, right? So you just like come in and do what you can and deliver. And if you don't, you learn from it and you try this or whatever, you get feedback. But norm normally you like, even if you deliver like it, wow, they need a redhead or that, oh, but it doesn't really quite fit. Oh, she's a bit too tall. There's so many things at the end. You realize, I remember I was, I, was, I was at this conference in LA and it was Nev Campbell talking and she was just like, just know that what whatever is meant to be yours will not pass you by. So in the end, it just kind of is yours. It's like already kind of written. Like it's, there is no real competition because you, you bring in your own, everyone brings in their flavor. And once I started to really accept that, because I think at first I was, you know, trying to be all these things because I do speak all these languages. I can kind of work a little bit. Like I can, I have this, like it's a, it's a little bit more open the options, but then I'm like trying to be this for these people trying to be very French for the Frenchies, uh, trying to kind of be Quebecois here, trying to be very like standard American uh, Hollywood and I'm not, but I'm trying. So, and it took a long time, right? A lot of like trial and error. And then realizing I'm like, Oh, my greatest asset is that, that I, 
have this, all these things kind of boiling inside of me, this different flavor, this kind of interesting look, this, this whatever my little touch is and everyone has theirs. And then once you learn to, it's like this whole process of really loving yourself and accepting yourself. And then you bring that to the room. Ah, then all of a sudden I started booking more and more and more and more and more because I just accepted the fact that I was a bit different. And I'm like, well, this is maybe not what you thought of, but try it. Maybe it's that extra spice that you didn't know mm, was going to make the meal just right. <laughs> you know, and then I just started to get more and more playful with it and a lot of like inner work to letting it go. Like, it's so good to, to have such a, you know, because you're imagine you're like constantly gigging, you're constantly interviewing, you know, you're constant in this like then you book a big thing and you're like, okay, will there be a next thing? And then of course it gets a little bit easier and easier once you have like a real name for yourself. And then, you know, you, you're in a different playing field, but it never really ends this whole kind of, you're kind of always at the, at the mercy of, will I get it or not? <laughs> right. So it definitely humbles you, but you have to, that's why I think a lot of people don't stay a long time because they're like, oh, you have to really like kind of be just so in love with it that you're, that you're, because yeah. then you do get it and you do do it. Uh, it's basically like we're basically drug addicts <laughs> like you're so wanting your fix you know you're like you're, you're on set and everything is wow and you do the scene and oh my god and it works and ah, then you have that feeling you're like oh my god I love this I love my life I love my job I love everything and then you go back and you're like oh god why am I doing this you're back in the auditioning train right you're kind of yeah you 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 when you get your fix, quote unquote, when you get to do the gig, you're just like, yeah, so many. But now I'm I'm in this phase where I'm much more relaxed with it and kind of starting to do my own stuff with my partner too and exploring music. So I feel like I, as much as I've loved this whole acting journey and I'm still on it and I cannot wait to see what else is coming. Actually, I just found out for something that I'm going to do next week that is really great as well. Um, <laughs> talk about but it's again one of these epic kind of roles that I've always wanted to play I also simultaneously really feel like I'm stepping into my creator's shoes so now this is like a new chapter in my life really starting to, to come out it has in many little forms in, in the past but I had to do a lot of interpersonal works I just you know I had to yeah, it's so vulnerable. It's so it's it's all it's a little bit easier to like perform somebody else's work, and then all of a sudden when you come out with your own creations, it's it's that extra layer of vulnerability. And I know my soul wants to go there. Like it's it's happening now. So I feel we're on this whole new journey with my partner and kind of juggling. I'm gonna juggle those as they come, gigs as they come, and doing our own work and. It's gonna right now it's music coming out, but it's you know combining it with our love for more artistic cinema and and, and expression, also animation. Like it's our skills really quite merge quite well. So I feel like we're gonna explore like film, storytelling, music. Uh, it's it's gonna it's a journey that's unfolding as we speak, yeah. but right now it's really uh, music coming through. The the excitement that you're talking about there, like that's why you're in it. That's why you do it. The stories you hear about the industry, though, on the other side of it, are just seem horrific, and you know, particularly weighted against females. How do you still have that joy and excitement for and drive to want to work in that industry when you yourself have said, "I am so different." It just must be so tiring, but yet you seem to come at it with so much energy. Oh, but let me tell you, I mean, there's, there's days when it just, it takes a hold of you. You're, you come so close. It's happened to me so many times. You come so close and you watch it slip away. And, and there's so much, like you said, happening behind the scene. It's like, you know, showbiz, right? There's so, it's, it's, it's wrong. The beast in itself for sure. But it's, it's changing. It's very slow. But it's changing. It is in terms of this, you know, push for diversity here. We're seeing a lot and, and to, to also like more and more interesting worlds for females. And it's, you know, in that it's slowly we're cranking the wheels that way because people want that. They don't they also want to relate like it, it just makes sense. Like to me, it's like, how are we not there yet? But anyway, so in that sense, that gives you a lot of juice, too, because you're like, all right, like 
tides are turning. Let's see. It's still slow in coming, but how can I help that? How can I help feed that? Even now they're like talking about, you know, uh, just the working hours are insane. It's the crews to me that I have the most respect for because they work insane. How do you have a life with these kind of hours? You're doing 16 hour days. uh, Like it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. So how can we... And it's like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. That's the only way we can get a movie done. That's it. And it's like, well, maybe not. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a way to make it so it's a bit more healthier and sustainable. You see a lot of these crew guys, you know, like, how do you, how do you have a family? How do you balance that out? How do you, like, have a life outside of, like, shooting yeah. something? But it's Sometimes it can be these things, like, where you do this project really intensively for a few months, and then maybe you take a break for a while. But they just, just they usually keep going on the next one and the next one and the next one because they just want to make sure that they're still going to be called. It's constantly this kind of fear that you, you know, might not get work, right? So it's 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 a it's again you kind of have to be like you just have to love it so much you just it's like you're in service to this to something bigger than you or something like a calling or something like that i feel like most artists feel that right it's 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 always a little bit more of a leap of faith kind of life you know but but you gotta do it you just gotta make that painting you just gotta make that music you just i feel it's this aligning with your your gift Aligning with you, whatever that is, like you want to bake bread, but you know, everybody told you you should be in banking because that's how you're going to secure yourself and work for your future and what that, 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 and you're doing something, but you're not vibrationally in line with it. And, uh, and then it's eating you up inside, but you just, uh, you know, and then, but, but it, when you meet, when you go to a great bakery and they love it and they just love what they're doing and they, 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 at the end, they, they give you this bread, but really what they're giving you is a, is a bit of love. In the end, it's just these exchanges of love when, you're inspired by a musician. You're inspired by a film. You're, they're just giving you a bit of that love back when you ah, you meet this great uh, footballer or or any a, anything, anyone that you feel is daring enough to align with what is in them when they feel like. Ironically, we teach you know kids. It's like it's like the thing actually that comes naturally to you. We don't we don't allow kids to explore that more often we kind of like you have to conform to this thing and be this person in the society and be you're not good at math well you gotta be good at math maybe that's just not why why like maybe somebody else is great at math they can do that maybe you can do this maybe you can just keep feeding whatever is coming in you that feels yeah that feels exciting for you to do and then of course all the hard work of course all the dynamics for me it's show business and it's this crazy world and it's really tough to navigate sometimes and it's uh it's yeah you you know but you love this thing so you keep nurturing the love and then all of a sudden you kind of like attract the kind of projects that you want to be in and in any case I'm kind of like in this little like margin anyway so I, I tend to attract the, the projects that, that that fit for me and I kind of leave the rest and now for example I just refused a role recently because I was like no that's not vibrationally in line with my values I don't want to just do that anymore before I think I was ready to like sacrifice quote-unquote a lot of things just to get the opportunity just to you know but now no I just won't participate in that if it doesn't align with me I just want to honor myself first so then in that sense it can kind of shield me maybe from the from the madness because I'm not ready to just you know do anything to, to yeah were you like that are the roles well, that you did that you that you regret doing well, or you wouldn't in the beginning you just kind of like well you take whatever you can get right because I had to work for everything I didn't know anybody I had to remake myself so many times in so many places so you just do anything. Like I did even like standing in and folded up just to be on set, just to meet people. Cause I know I'm better in person. And then, right. So you, you just kind of don't necessarily do all your dream project. You kind of have to, you know, do what you yeah. gotta do. But um, no, I, I not really, it was just this one kind of, you know, small role. And I kind of had to show my breasts for it. And I always felt a little bit like weird about that. And I always kind of regretted it afterwards, but I was like, oh, but it's a role that's coming. And it was funny and it was really well done, a great show and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't really feel good inside. And that's when I felt like, oh, I kind of, I, you know, not that I'm saying I would never do that, but it has to really like serve the story, be a bigger character. You know, when you just come in to do that, you feel a little bit Right. You, it's not a nice feeling. Right. But you yeah. kind of like just find in your head, you're like, oh, but it, I'm meeting people, I'm getting on set, I'm, you know, right. So, but 
And then now I got to kind of relive that actually for the same, just recently and be, and I was able to say no. Right. So I was like, ah, I was able to heal that be like, yeah, no, I'll do that. But, but it really has to feel right. It really has to, everything has to feel right now. You know, it has to feel right. Am I in a position where I'm like, Oh, please no, send me the script. I'll let you know, darling, (laughs) you know, no, (laughs) but I'm also in a position where I can navigate that a little bit, a little bit better. Right. I feel like we're slowly, slowly starting to tell a new story. And I just hope one day we get there where we, it's not about the man, not about the woman, not about the color. Like, who cares? It's just who is best to serve this story at this moment right now. And I feel like, yeah, that's at least my dream that we just yeah. get eventually. But that's a lot to do with our, I, I strongly feel our, our need to, you know, develop our awareness, our consciousness, this whole ego thing to create less and less attachment to this ego thing. Because this whole idea of Inca is just that here right now in front of you and for God knows how long, but in the end, the only truth we know is that eventually this whole Inca play or theater or whatever will be gone. Right. So it's, it's, it can feel sad, but it can also, I've been really doing that a lot now, like really embracing uh, death, you know, in the sense of that the more it's ironic, the more we embrace it, the more we just don't run away from it. The way we kind of, cause you know, we kind of live these lives where we pretend, you know, like we're going to be here forever. This is mine. This is my, that's, and it's the only common truth that we all have. And yet we just, it's so taboo. We don't want to go there. We don't want to talk about it. It's, but in the end, I find the more we embrace it, the more we connect to that. Cause technically we are dying a little bit every day as much as we're living. So if we just embrace that, all of a sudden you're living it more, ironically, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah, does this really matter? No, not really, you know? So There's two ways to go about that, though, isn't it? Because if you yeah. if you accept you're going to die, you could give up and die quicker. Or you can do what you're doing and, and embrace that death. From a practical point of view, how do you do that? <sighs> Good question. I mean, that's all for the individual, but I find... Uh, um, at least for me, a lot of meditation, meditation practices, so many different kinds, reading from so many different masters that have transcended the ego in their in their lifetime here in their body to be able to mirror that for us. So I've been getting a lot of juice from them in that sense to be able to to let go of the whole. It's like, of course, you can have your ego. I'm here. I'm, I'm living. I'm in a body. It's going to be there, right? So it's like, how do you create this healthy relationship with it? So I feel mm-hmm. more you can understand that your ego dies, but the, the, the truer sense of who you are never really dies in that sense. Because at the end, what are we? But some energy vibrating, bunch of atoms vibrating, <laughs> you know, at this high frequency to create this idea of solid. And once you, when you, the deeper and deeper you go. So I went so deep, so many practices, so many times in silence and I've removed myself and dug deep, dug deep. You have to, yeah, I think be, be, uh, and that's not for everyone. Of course. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not for everyone, but I find it's very liberating because it's, it can, I guess if you're really stuck in the ego and you're looking at death, then you can really get depressed for sure. And then you can be like, oh God, you know, I'm going to die anyway. Who cares? Like, what's the point, right? You can yeah. really go down that path, like you said, but hence the need for some guidance. You know, we have so, we have great guidance now. Like, I don't know if you know, like Eckhart Tolle is a big, uh, I don't know if you know him, Eckhart Tolle, he's, he's, he's wonderful. Have you, have you ever read The Power of Now? Oh. I strongly recommend it. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's about this. It's, it's, we have, there's a lot, a lot of guidance, uh, available, but your life is a passage, right? It's just a passage, right? So you're given this name, you're given this culture, you're, you're kind of born into something, whatever. So you develop this idea of who you are and what you do and what you're like. And right. So we, we develop this whole idea, but really it's only in our minds, right? Like you look at a newborn baby, they're just alive. They're just fully alive. They're just there. Their heart is beating. What is that greater consciousness that allows your body right now to do everything that it does just to keep itself alive? If you try to think about it, if you try to think about all the functions right now, you'd literally fucking combust, right? Because it's impossible. It's, it's like, 
ah, there's just something so much bigger than us. For me, that's liberating. It's like freeing. It's like almost freeing yourself of this responsibility of this ego thing. Because then it becomes this mind-driven thing. I got to do this. I got to make my mark. I got to be famous. I got to, you know, do something great. I, I, right? And then, which can be wonderful. It can be great, wonderful. And it can lead you so many, yes, 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 yes. But we're so disconnected from nature, from all this, for, for everything that is natural to us, that, of course, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, we're... we're it's a suicidal where all these you you look at all this mental health issues in the most privileged countries and you're like why you have everything what's going on like but because we're so much identified with the mind we've kind of lost this natural connection that i think we had when we were more with nature right where i just feel like yeah this I'm, i'm giving in more it's not this giving up it's like this energy of giving in because we've been taught and programmed to fear to we're in competition with each other fear each other when really actually nature is working together it's in harmony with it's not it's working together it's not this we are competing with one another when we when look at what we're doing to ourselves and we're the same species it's crazy what other species is doing this to itself it's not it's kind of like you know when the airplane is going up and it's going up it's going up it's going through the clouds and then just reaches that cruising altitude and it's above the clouds and that's it that's what meditation is is this kind of like you know you just kind of I remember this, I, I saw this when I was young, I, we, you know, they teach us about the Second World War and the Holocaust and all that. And I remember I had heard about this Holocaust survivor. They were interviewing him way later. He's very old back in his life. And he's like, oh, do you think there's anything that kind of like helped you survive? You know, like a hard question, you know, but they were just kind of asking him, is it just product of chance? Like who could survive these things? And he said, he's like, I very quickly understood that they, clearly my life is 100% in their hands right now. If they want to terminate it at any moment, they can. But I understood, and of course, I'm terribly paraphrasing him, but that whatever was going on inside of me, they had no power. So when he would get this disgusting, quote unquote, soup with like a dead fish head inside and whatever, he would envision his grandmother's cooking as he would eat it and the aromas and the smells. And he would feed himself like that. In all the crazy, horrible work that they gave them to do, he was like, well, you know, I could find joy in the work that I'm doing, right? I mean, imagine the kind of, I mean, that's like the ultimate circumstance of, it really is up to you. Like talk about the most horrific conditions you could possibly put a human being through. And yet still there, there is a choice. I mean, am I saying that I could do that? I have no idea. All I remember from my history degree, <laughs> all I remember was being like, well, I'll be damned. Same shit, different day. Like everything was the same. These people, this religion, that religion, this power, this land, this. Th- it's everybody just repeating the same cycles over and over and over and over and over again. I remember feeling just like, like wow. Like- Listen to you talking there. You should definitely be asked by Ted to do a Ted talk. I don't know. You could do it on any number of things, but it would be absolutely fascinating to just see you on stage owning it and talking about whatever you have to talk about. Wow. This was, I was so nervous to meet you because, yeah, I feel like maybe it's time, yeah, maybe to talk a little bit, but I, I just, I felt uh, there's still this nervousness, I guess, to be misunderstood somehow. Or As in, you, you would say something that would be misunderstood or just misunderstood in general? Yeah, or maybe just still a little bit of this, it's uh, ego. See, I'm catching myself. It's a little bit of like shyness, a little bit of who am I? What the hell do I have to say? <laughs> you yeah. know, a little bit of all of that coming up. Me not, not, not able to take what you just said, you know. On kind of that, that shyness and as an actress and as a, you, you then presumably get, get fans and get recognized and become to some level of fame. What's that like? Well, I don't, I don't know that yet because I, first of all, I play a lot of characters. So it's like, you know, think of all like the character actors that, you know, like on screen, they don't, 
I'm not going to be your, like your Angelina Jolie and everybody's going to be following me, the paparazzi, you know? It's like the yeah. character, you love them. You're like, oh my God, that's that guy from that movie. And like, he was in that thing. You, you don't really know. Perfect. That's kind of what I want. I want to kind of like infiltrate all these films and get to put all these different hats and almost totally redisguise myself. So, and I'm getting there slowly. I've, I've come very close to things that could have maybe changed my life or I could have become this, you know, big name. So maybe like, we'll, 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 uh, <laughs> Welcome back cross that bridge when 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 that happens but so far i've just been able to really like work steadily get greater and greater gigs i'm getting like i finally come to that place where i'm auditioning for the stuff like okay because often you like come in and you don't know if you're going to survive the final cut of the film you know you're that's happened to me so many times you're like at the premiere and you're like man there i am oh. <laughs> i was it's just like it happens to somebody. It's just the way it is, right? So you just learn to kind of like navigate those. You don't get yeah. told in advance that. You sometimes they don't tell you it's terrible. They're so, uh, it's terrible. Yeah. So sometimes they really don't tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we'll see. Does that excite you? Um, I think before it did, because I was still trying to maybe prove something or, okay, once you recognize me, then I'm worthy, you know? And that's a very dangerous path. And most of us kind of do that. And then finally you, you run for it, you run for it, you finally get it. And then you're like, oh, right. You realize, oh, I'm still unhappy. I'm still unsatisfied, right? It's just this like, once I have this money, once I have this bro, once I have this person, once I live here, like, right. And then you get there and it's great for a little while. And then you're gonna, uh, right. So I'm, I'm getting less and less attached to this idea of making it or success or fame or, and ironically, it's coming more and more and more now because I'm not coming at it from that energy. But I think before it was, because I was still trying to like, yeah, maybe because I was constantly this new kid, constantly bounced around everywhere. I was still trying to be like, do I fit in now? Am I loved now? Am I okay now? Right. There's, there was, this longing for that, but I've totally oh, freed myself from that. Yeah. It's more like, it's like you, it's a double-edged sword. You kind of want it, but I kind of don't. I love being incognito and I'm so like in the world observing people. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't, I want, I don't want to be in like my fortress and I, you know, I can't get out or I'm followed around. Like, I don't know. I, and I look at all these huge stars. You think of all the, just how it ends up just destroying them right because yeah. you can't have a life you can't go anywhere you can't do anything it's like it must be so exhausting so luckily or unluckily who knows <laughs> i don't know that yet <laughs> it, it just struck me there when you were saying there that uh, you know you had to prove yourself and with your next projects you know you're talking about creating your own yes arts, creating your own music film your your new projects you're gonna have to go through that again yeah, but you know what? It's so different because it's us. It's on our terms. So it's like we could take it as slow as we want, as fast as we want. For now, we can, you know, we'll see. It's just the it's just the, the beginning of it. So we'll see what happens. We're I think it's so cool because my partner had to go through all this stuff with music. I had to go through all this stuff with my acting. And now we're merging together and we're at this different vibrational place where we have all this experience, all this knowledge, all these tools, all these skills. But we are now wanting to really just be in service. So it's like, may it be good music or humor or a bit of consciousness or a, an artistic experience or a good song. I don't know, but we just want to do that. We just want to serve that. So I feel like in that sense, that will protect us in the, the, the path. Cause we're not going to be like, Oh, we'll, we'll do this anything just to get that big uh, stage. You know, no, 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 no. I don't care. I have no attachment. It's the funnest thing because I get to just allow this play, do it, let it come from the heart. You know, it feels so good. We released this this music video and and song and we just we did it with nothing with few amazing friends and and a lot of serendipity and things falling in the right place again because when you're when you meet life with that energy it comes to meet you halfway like it's so ironic it's like life just wants us to we're on top of the building and all we gotta do is take a jump but we're like I, what if i fall and die what if something eats me along the way okay but all it wants us is to it just wants to, us to, to be brave enough to show up and there's it's like you leap and something is there to catch you but you have to leap first every time i've done that in my life ugh, life has come 
like tenfold to come meet me halfway. That's what we're finally doing yesterday. And I were like taking the sleep. We're showing up with this project. You know, we're, we're, it's called the Zorbas, but it's like, I don't know if you know Zorba. Have you ever watched uh, Zorba the Greek no. this film? Do yourself no. this favorite. Wonderful film, like 1964, I think, with Anthony Quinn, who plays Zorba. And Zorba is this character, right? He's just this total... Wow, like grab life, you know. He, I think one of his lines, one of his famous lines, maybe I'm quoting it wrong, but he, he's talking to his boss and he's like, Boss, life is trouble, only death is not. To live life is to undo your belt and look for trouble. You know, this is the Zorba energy, like, because he's trying to convince him to talk to this woman that he wants to talk to. And, and it's, it's Zorba is the quintessential, like, bah, just in your senses, enjoy life, like, live it to the fullest. And, good food and good friends and good that, right? This Zorba energy, but too much Zorba can be a little detrimental too, right? You have to know how to balance, right? So originally we wanted to be called the Zorba Buddhas because we're very much kind of adopting this kind of life where we're also in the Buddha space a lot, where it's that, you know, you realize the Maya, the matrix, the illusion, you, you create exactly what we were talking about in the meditation, that separateness, a little bit of that space where you realize, okay, this whole thing right now is just, it's like, essentially this Inca role, I guess, is probably like the greatest gift of my life because it's been so dynamic, so interesting. If you think as an actor, (laughs) you know, it's like Mm. maybe, you know, this is, but it's again, just this role I'm playing, right? You, you're the husband, you're the brother, then you're the father, then you're the, uh, right? It's all these roles that we get to play. So the Buddha is really just allowing yourself to realize and and just be in that space. So we're kind of combining this Zorba Buddha philosophy, right? So we kind of like go full on into the world and then kind of remove a little bit and just play and like a balance. Yeah. This balance. Definitely. We'll see. It's such a beautiful journey. We just, we just began, right. We're working on the second song now it's coming out and it's, I really like the song. And ironically, this song is called ego. It's so vulnerable, but it feels so right. So I'm trusting that. And usually I feel when we're scared of something, when we can feel it in our guts, it's it's and, and it's answering that voice and then all of a sudden when you can align yourself to that it's just gonna start yeah. coming it's gonna start oozing out of you like because it's aligning with this serving life i think i don't know and that's where that's where the magic is so yeah. that's where that bravery is that's where that's showing up and then like don't worry life's got you like if yeah. you it's this innate fear to like Ah, oh, because it's all of a sudden it matters. I think yeah. that's what can happen. What can happen? Why not try it? Thank you, Inca. Positive attitudes in the face of plenty of upheaval is not easy to have. But Inca shows that if you concentrate on the positives, you can achieve your goals. There are plenty of stories of children haunted by events in their past, where moving from one place to the next has blighted their progress, and having to concentrate on fitting in has been a burden. It's lovely to be swept away in Inca's enthusiasm. And escape to her world, where it's as if she turns every corner with excitement to see what lies ahead. Even when Inca talks about misogyny in the acting world, she can't help but be excited to be part of the solution, as she feels the wheels of change cranking ever so slowly. As someone who has very little knowledge of acting, it was fascinating listening to Inca talk about her method acting training. It sounds as if she really broke herself down and confronted all of her emotions in order to build herself back up as the person she needed and wanted to be. Honestly, it sounds terrifying, but intriguing at the same time. Wouldn't it be great to reframe those emotions that make us feel the most uncomfortable or really think about why we shy away from feeling sad or angry or whatever? It sounds like a trip to a psychologist without the consultation fee. We can learn so much from listening to other people's stories. Inca felt her unique background and look needed to be hidden in order to get an acting job. She needed to be more French for the Quebecois, more standard American for Hollywood. All things to all people, but eventually realised her uniqueness is her greatest strength. And the same probably goes for all of us. A compliment is a funny thing. It should be a positive, but often it creates strange emotions. By suggesting Inca should appear on a TED Talk, I was trying to say how interesting she is as a speaker which brought on a shyness I wasn't expecting. That vulnerability is intriguing, given everything Inca has been through. And it comes up again when she talks about fame. She wants it because it will reflect a level of success, but she doesn't want it because she will lose her opportunity to observe something so central to her being. That's it for this week. But before we go, 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please give the podcast a five-star rating wherever you're listening. I'd really appreciate it. I'll be back next week, and I hope you will too. We Are The People is presented and produced by myself, Philip Burke, and our theme tune is The People by Trevega.